Okay, everybody stand up. Gotta get you moving a little bit here. I want you to talk to the person next to you or behind you about whether or not you believe in New Year's resolutions. Whether or not you believe in New Year's resolutions. Okay, great. Will you please remain standing for the benediction? I'm going to send you home early today. Okay, great. Have a seat. Thank you. At the beginning of a new year, the resolutions abound. But by today, January 3rd, about 80, 87% have gone by the wayside. And people are going, well, it's a, whole, it's, it's a year. The year started. It's going to kind of be the way it was before. But people want to know. What is this new year going to bring? What's it going to be like? The Wall Street Journal says gadgets will define your life in 2016. Gadgets. And then they offer you some descriptions. Wireless headphones, wireless charging everywhere, drones that will follow you wherever you go. It's your own drone. You throw it up in the air. It, it tracks you. It follows you. It takes your own selfies. You don't have to take your selfies anymore. The drone takes your selfies. You just look up and there it is. Gadgets. Do we really need gadgets to define our lives? But it does raise a great question. What will define your life in 2016. What will define your life in 2016? I have, a, I have a friend who's a young man in Togo, West Africa, and his name is Holyborn. That's his real name. He's there on the right. He's waving. Holyborn. I'll tell you, that puts a lot of pressure on your life if your name is Holyborn. Hi, I'm, I'm Michael. What, what's your name? Holyborn. No, it's not. Yes, it's holy. What's your name? Holy. No, it's not. Yes, yes, it is. Holyborn. A lot of pressure comes with that name. So Holyborn wrote me a greeting for the new year. And Holyborn is trying to learn English. And when you're trying to learn English, you don't always get the, the wording right. And so he, he gave me some Bible verses and then he, he signed off his, his new year greeting to me in this way. Have a ponderous 2016. I don't want to ponder as 2016. I, I thought, that just doesn't quite sound right. Have a ponderous 2016. So I wanted to double check it. So I, I went to the dictionary. Ponderous, laborious, cumbersome, weighty, tedious, dull, happy, ponderous 2016. But for some of us, our year is, is already looking ponderous. It's looking weighty. And yet, maybe... In ponderous, we can find something that God wants us to find. Maybe in a ponderous year, when we really think about stuff in a serious way, we can figure out some changes that we need to make or some, something will come to us from, from God's heart and mind that we really need to know and to understand. And so we come to the 2016 Relationship Series Brave. And I do these series because... Uh, I look around and I see that every one of us needs to understand how life really works relationally. It's, it's all lived out relationally. You woke up this morning probably in some kind of a, a relational connection uh, or you've, you've grown up relationally. That's how you got here. Or you're going to go to work tomorrow morning and there's going to be a lot of relationships happening. And it's somewhere in those relationships that God forges 
our lives. He works in and through relational stuff. Jesus worked in and through relationships. He had his disciples and he had a larger group that was beyond his disciples. They called those the 70. And then there were people even beyond that that they kind of followed and they wanted to, to hear and understand what he was teaching, what he was saying. Relationships are about love and grace and understanding and forgiveness and so many things. The recording was completed on August the 18th, 1969. It was their last recording together. And Paul McCartney sang the last line of the last song, which is called The End, with a staccato piano alongside him. And in the end, you can almost hear the piano. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And it was an interesting way to to end. It was an interesting offering of, of these two phrases. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Is that true? Is it is it a hint of something that's that's greater than, than who we are? In his book, Donald Miller, in his book Scary Close, Donald Miller puts it this way. He talks about moments because we we all live our lives in moments. Only a few times in our lives do we get to know in the moment the impact of the moment itself. I don't mean to overstate what is yet unknown, but part of me believes when the story of earth is told, all that will be remembered is the truth we exchanged, the vulnerable moments, the terrifying risk of love, and the care we took to cultivate it. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Is that that true? And all the rest, the distracting noises of insecurity, And the flattery and the flash bulbs will flicker out like a turned off television. Now, granted, you have to sort of be from the 50s to understand the flash bulbs and to understand the flickering TV, but but you get the point. All the rest, the distracting noises of insecurity and the flattery will flicker out. Maybe the only thing left is the terrifying risk of love and the care we took to cultivate it. And so we come to grace and love and faith and being brave to find out what it all means in terms of our relational lives. Brave is not a quick fix. Brave is not designed to make you feel good as we wait four weeks for the Super Bowl. Brave is not going to tell you lies and let you stay the same. Brave will help you get unstuck. Brave will challenge you toward maturity in Christ. Brave will help you navigate the waterways of truth that are leading you toward another kingdom. Brave will bring real faith and real life together. Faith is the journey calling you to be brave. Proverbs chapter three is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I'd like to lay it down this morning as kind of a foundation for 2016, I'd encourage you to, to go home and to read it and say, God, help me to, to live this out this new year. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Let love never leave you. Let faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them 
on the tablet of your heart, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Relationships, this relationship, so important, so strategic, so groundbreaking in our lives. These relationships, so important, so strategic, so meaningful in our lives. Then you will find favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him or acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. God cares about everything in our lives. He cares about what he's doing and our investment and what he's doing for his purposes. And he cares about what you're doing and your work and your businesses and what you're pouring your lives into day after day, week after week. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And that's relational too, that God cares so much about you that he doesn't want you to stay the same. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Wisdom, she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Such a, a powerful, powerful song to wisdom. Such powerful testimony to what wisdom can do in our lives. Verses five through nine in the message kind of turn the words in an interesting way. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God, run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. And so those words can be a great foundation for a new year. And that, that theme of wisdom is so important that God makes it clear that we understand the depth and the power and the strategic role of wisdom in our lives. In John 17, verses 15 to 26, we see some themes that Jesus wanted us to have in our lives. I call this scary close truth. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Maybe we could put it this way, that they too may be truly holy born. My prayer is not for them alone. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and that's me. My prayer is not for them alone, not just these disciples that are here with me now. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. And this is something Jesus wants to, to write on our hearts. This is something he wants to emblazon upon our minds. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So important, this idea of oneness, this idea of unity. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. It's a unity that, that cannot be broken. It's something that has, has power and has a sense of, of redemptive call to society. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so this, this second theme begins to weave itself into this prayer that Jesus gives in John 17, this, this theme of oneness and unity, so important for Jesus to give us, this, this theme of love, so important for Jesus that we understand that. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. This, this theme of wisdom can guide us through a new year. This theme of unity, of being together, being one, being on the same page can guide us into this new year and hold us together during the new year. This theme of love, it was so important to Jesus. He even said in an earlier chapter in John, John 13, that the whole world would know that we are followers of him if we really love each other because the world doesn't do that well. It's a lot of struggle. It's a lot of manipulation. It's a lot of, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. But it's rarely about love. And so the Apostle Paul, such a, a great student of the scripture, such a, a great teacher of principles that would anchor the lives of those who were in the, the early church. He, he wrote so many letters to those young churches. And in one of those letters, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he said some really important things. And I want us to spend a little bit of time there this morning. Let's anchor ourselves this morning in 2 Corinthians 13. We all know about 1 Corinthians 13 and the, the great love chapter. I'd like you to link these two together. There's so many great descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's not proud, doesn't boast. It, it, it endures, it endures. 2 Corinthians 13 is trying to teach something very, very dynamic and real for us as men and women who are following Christ. And so let's always link them together. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 Corinthians 13, and I'm gonna read you verses five through 10. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we have stood the test, 
but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not tearing you down. And before we go into the, the layers of this and peel back the layers, let me just read you his, his concluding remarks. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind. There's that theme of unity. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And there's nowhere in the New Testament that we read the word Trinity. And yet we understand the Trinity because of descriptions like this from the Apostle Paul, things that Jesus said, the concept of the Trinity became very real and full early on in the life of the church. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God, three in one, one God, eternally existent in three persons, three distinct personalities that we know as the God who loves us. Let's look at the layers in 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 through 10. First, Paul says, examine yourselves. You have, we have a very palpable responsibility to, to look at our lives and ask ourselves the hard questions. How are we really doing? We can't afford to be superficial. We can't afford to, to banter about things that are inconsequential. How are we really doing? What is the direction of our lives? Are we really anchored in, in Proverbs chapter three and letting him set the path straight in our lives? Are we, are we trusting him with all of our hearts? Really examining ourselves is such an important part of being a Christian. And it's so easy to just let life carry you along. You blink, you blink and it'll be Christmas again. You blink, it'll be Thanksgiving, it'll be, you blink, and it all starts to happen so fast. And yet in the middle of this day-to-day, fast-paced existence, Paul reminds us, examine yourself, ask yourself the hard questions. That's the work that God calls you to. And then it says, test yourselves. Now why does he say, examine yourselves? And then why does he say, test yourselves. It sounds like the same thing. Well, first of all, it's, it's sort of like an emphasis, but second of all, the test is another word. And it's a word that goes deeper into looking at your life and purifying your life. It's a word that, that speaks toward the, the, the purification of metals, where you have to heat the metal so the dross rises to the top. It can be skimmed off, so then you have, you have a, a more pure form of the metal. Allow the heat to purify your life. You want to live a life that's excellent to God. 
everything that we look at in the world, we, we look for excellence. We look to, to see excellent performance. It's why we watch sports at the highest level of performance because we want to see what does it look like when everybody gives flat out everything they have all the time. We see amazing things that happen and that's what Paul's saying. Test yourselves so that amazing things are going to happen through you because of the excellence of your life, the purity of your life. And then he just lays it on the line. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? He says, are you, are you thinking about this every day? Are you thinking about the wonder and the power that, that the God of the universe lives inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit? That God lives in you so that you can think his thoughts, so that you can do what he would do and you could act as he would act. You could have the attitude that he would have and understand life through seeing it through his eyes? Do we, do we stop enough to think about that in the busyness, in the rush? Because it gets, like I said, just gets busy all so, all so fast. Snap. It's February. Snap. It's March. And Easter comes in March this year. It's a hop, skip, and a jump away. And then it's springtime. The flowers come up. Then you have a vacation. And then it's just all of a sudden you're into the fall. And there it is. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Is that a sobering thought that really guides our minds and anchors our souls every day? You, we don't want to fail that test. And then you have what I call verse 7, faith and life, or bringing faith and life together. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. His prayer is that you will really live out your faith every day so that your faith is a light in the world, your faith is, is, a, is a testimony of what God is able to do when a person gives himself or herself totally to him. It's, that, it's the echo of what he wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, about giving our lives as living sacrifices. It's the echo, again, of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In verse 9, he says, we are weak. And, and the weakness in Scripture is such an important concept that we know that our strength comes from him, that it's not about who we are and, and about what we can do. It's about who he is and what he can do through us. And I talked to you about that at Christmas time. That's the most important thing, who he is and what he can do in us and through us. And so depending upon our weakness, acknowledging our weakness allows us to be open to his strength. And in his strength, we can do all things fully restored to be everything that, that we can be, that God's calling us to be. Authority is, is Paul's authority here. He's, he's responsible for these churches. God's given him a charge to take care of these churches. And it's important to understand that authority comes with, with great responsibilities. And what he's saying is that with this authority, I want to be able to build you up. That's why God gave me authority, because I want to build you up. I want to coach you and mentor you and, and kind of push you and squeeze you into becoming all of the potential that God has put into the giftedness he has put in you. And authority can be such a, a powerful tool for building up. He doesn't want to tear anybody down. He doesn't want to, to create tension but he will if it's necessary to get you into a building up trajectory. And so all these things are in 
or in 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 to 10, examining yourselves, testing yourselves, Jesus in you, faith and life coming together, the dependence upon weakness so that we receive God's strength, being fully restored, understanding the, the, the call of authority upon our lives and what it means for building us up. And all these things bring us to a point where we can trust that 2016 can be everything that God wants it to be. We depend upon wisdom. We put down a foundation of, of wisdom, desiring wisdom for our lives, all the decisions of our lives. We look at what it means to be unified and to all be on the same page and how that gives us a power that's greater than a single person. And we look at love and how love is how people really know that Jesus was our Lord and our Savior because they see that we can do something that it's so hard to do. It's so rare to see that kind of love and forgiveness and sacrifice in the world. What happens though is we get mixed up and, and this is why I do the relationship series because we get, we get caught up in this tension of knowing the biblical principles and reading them and listening to them and understanding that, that it's our responsibility to bring these and introduce these to our hearts and we get lost sometimes in things that have been put for wrong purposes in our lives. We get, we get caught up in manipulative patterns of behavior and, and styles of living that we saw over and over again in our families or we, we, we experienced over and over again in significant relationships in our lives. And so there's this war. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. There's this battle that goes on where he wants to do the right things and on the inside he's struggling in being able to do them and this this is the tension of why we we talk about relationships why we try to line them out to the way that they could be if we understood sometimes the way that they are that they they can't be because it doesn't really work anymore and all families have a struggle with this even even han solo had a struggle with this it just was breaking my heart He's there on the bridge. It's the moment. It's the moment that he's been waiting for. He's with his son. And he thinks that finally he's going to be restored to his son. And he's looking into his son's eyes. And his son is almost tearing up. And it looks like father and son are going to come back together. There's going to be forgiveness. There's going to be grace. There's going to be love. And then all of a sudden, I can't even bear to think about it. I almost start to, to cry as I, as I see him fall. Now, maybe Harrison Ford just couldn't afford to do another movie. He was just done, and he said, just take me out. But, but you know, what's Chewbacca going to do now? What's Chewie going to do? I don't know. I can't wait to see the next movie to find out what it's going to mean. Uh, maybe, some, some, maybe he fell into a wormhole, and he's going to come back. I don't know. But every family struggles with these things that, that are called manipulation. And when you're caught up in manipulation, sometimes you start to live that way without even noticing it. And if you never examine yourself, if you never test yourself, if you never rely upon God's wisdom, sometimes these become the patterns of our lives rather than God's grace and God's love becoming the patterns of our lives. So let me, let me teach you from Donald Miller's book, Scary Close, about five kinds of manipulation. Now, if you're a, a new Christian, if you're like a one-on-one Christian, do not read this book. This book will not help you. It's, it's kind of like if you were in college, instead of being 101, it'd be like 451. 
Uh, he's telling real honest stories about his struggles and, and how God's worked in his life over a period of decades. And, and it's, it's some pretty intense stuff. So, but if you're, if you're at that level of your life where you're going, I need to figure out some of this intense stuff because I feel kind of stuck, then this is a good book for you to read. But he talks about five different kinds of manipulation. The first one he talks about is when in relationships, there's the scorekeeper. The downside to living in a scorekeeping relationship is that you end up submitting to the rules of a game someone else is making up. Not only are they making up the game, they are changing the rules day to day. They, they shift the rules to keep you off balance and, and they keep score through the whole thing. And you don't even know how you get points. You don't even know why you lost points, but you're caught up in this score keeping craziness and you realize it just doesn't work, but you don't know how to get out of it. The upside is in true intimate relationships, nobody keeps score. It's not about keeping score. Many years ago, we had a, this really interesting couple here doing some drama for us. And uh, they called themselves Johnson and Johnson, Paul and Nicole Johnson. And they did this, this one drama about a husband and a wife, and they called it Ledger People. And they each had a, a pad, and, and anytime anybody said something or did, did something, they either gained some points or they lost some points, or they would negotiate points. And finally, it just all broke down. You can't take those points away from me. You have to give me points. And it was so much about points that they lost their relationship. And as you watch the drama, you could sense that we all were understanding the drama because somewhere we all have lived or are living in scorekeeping relationships. Scorekeeping relationships are never going to get you where God needs you to go. In true intimate relationships, nobody keeps score. It's just about serving and helping everybody to be what God's called them to be. And sometimes we get caught up in the manipulation of judging relationships. With the judge, the downside is you live in a world of authority and power, but it's never your authority. It's not your authority, and it's never your authority and power. And the judge is never wrong. When the judge says jump, you say how high. When the judge says this is the law and the prophets, that's the law and the prophets. The upside is in true intimate relationships, it's not about control. Control is about fear. Intimacy is about risk. It's, intimacy is saying, this is all I am. This is all I have. This is all I can be. I can't be any more than this. And somebody else saying, I take you as you are. I take you for what you are. And I know you can't be anything more than that. And I still take you and I still love you. And there's the false hero. The false hero is when you're in a relationship where you get manipulated by the story of a future that's too good to be true. If it seems unrealistic, that's because it is. We're going to do this together. We're going to do that together. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing when we get there. The only problem is you never can figure out where the tracks are going. There, there doesn't seem to be enough track put down to go anywhere. But the story sounds great. and The dream is kind of intense, but there's nothing there to back it up. The upside is you learn to become reality-focused and faith-trusting at the same time. You say what you see and what you feel. In a false hero relationship, you're getting manipulated by a story that's too good to be true because it is too good to be true. 
and yet God has amazing things for us, which is why you have to balance reality and faith at the same time. Because if God has something for you, he also has a plan to get you there. If God has something for you and there's a gap, somehow he's got the resources to bridge the gap to get you there. And so you learn that reality is a good place to live and you say what you see and you say what you feel and it's okay. In fear-monger relationships, the downside is you are made to suffer for asking questions or having your own thoughts. Complete and total submission is the world you will live in and you will live in it and you will live in it the way I tell you to live in it. And fear is this crazy control system that kind of squeezes you and ultimately squeezes the life out of you. The upside is you learn that one key to intimacy is vulnerability. You learn that weakness can be a strength. Perfect love casts out fear. And understanding God's purposes allows you to rest in his purposes. Whenever the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it means the reverence of the Lord. It means, as, as we talked about that theme of humility and weakness, it means that you know God is so great and you throw yourself on your knees in front of a God who is so great, who's the only one that can save you out of certain situations, who's the only one that can guide you out of the dark into the light. But a fearmonger tries to get you into complete and total submission, and the only one who deserves that is God, and he deserves it because he already completely and totally submitted to you through his son on the cross. Finally, there's the flopper. The downside is you live in an emotional drama most of the time. A flopper is a false victim who controls through seeking sympathy and attention. The flopper needs an audience and an oppressor. Guess who that will be? The flopper is like always caught up in emotional drama and you're trying to figure out what can I do? How can I help? But the drama never ends and you can't really help. The upside is you learn that intimacy doesn't mean losing yourself in a relationship. Intimacy requires a mature understanding of life's ups and downs. It demands knowing that emotions are important as life signals, but not necessarily as bedrock wisdom. God gave us emotion because it's an important signal that helps us to understand sometimes where we are or what's happening. But emotion was not meant to be the final be-all and end-all of giving us direction in life. And so you have the flopper. And so you have the fearmonger, the false hero, the judge, or the scorekeeper. And each and every one of these kinds of manipulation keeps you from living that life that God offered you in Proverbs chapter 3, a life guided on wisdom. It keeps you from finding that, that unity and that love that Jesus called us to in John chapter 17 and in other places in the New Testament. It keeps us from examining ourselves and testing ourselves and understanding that Jesus is in us as Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 13. And you don't want to end up there. You don't want to stay there. Scary close isn't about maintaining the status quo because of a fear of change. Scary close isn't about insulating your life with what seems to protect you at the surface level. Scary close isn't 
control all the details at whatever the cost. Scary Clothes is about speaking and hearing the truth with grace. Scary Clothes is about evaluating every experience, every experience in your life for growth and maturity. Scary Close is about asking the right questions for the right reasons at the right time. Scary Close is taking the risk to face the truth and embrace the intimacy potential, the intimacy that you could have with God and the intimacy that you could have with those who surround you. So where do you need to engage Scary Close? Where do you need to engage that? In, in a friendship? where it's just kind of gotten dull, where it's kind of got a little predictable, where you need to engage scary close in, in, in your marriage where you, you kind of keep going through the motions and it seems like the same scene happens over and over again and it was 2015 and now it's 2016 and you're kind of thinking it's going to be 2017 it's going to kind of look the same. In your, in your business where you can't seem to get on the same page with somebody who it's so important that you're on the same page together for the future. Where, where do you need to engage scary close? The other day, I was with my three-year-old granddaughter. Her name is Leela. And, and Ruthie was walking around. She's one. And, and I had an Elmo puppet, and I was trying to sing a song from Annie because we just watched Annie, and so I was doing this Elmo Annie thing. And, and Leela comes up, and, uh, and she says, I froze up water. I was under the water breathing. Uh, you can't breathe under the water. You can only breathe on top of the water. Now I said, well, that's, that's nice, Leela. That's good. I didn't know what she was talking about because she froze up a lot. And so I thought it was just another throw-up story. But the next day I find out that she was in the hot tub with some of her cousins and she slipped under the water and, and she couldn't get up out of the water, and she was, she was under there until somebody said, hey, it looks like there's Leela down there. We should pull her out. And so apparently while she was down there, she tried breathing the water, which didn't work, which gave her the, the important lesson in life is you can only breathe on top of the water. Otherwise, there's just going to be a lot of throwing up. And this is what happens with us. We breathe too much under the water of manipulation. Maybe we got it from the way we grew up. Who knows? Maybe we got it from somewhere else. But somehow we keep breathing the underwater of manipulation, and all it does is it makes us throw up all the time. So where are you trying to breathe underwater? You're trying to breathe underwater in a flopping situation? You try to breathe underwater in a judging situation? Where are you breathing underwater? Where are you afraid? Where are you stuck? Where do you need to have faith and be brave? Where do you need to examine yourself and test yourself and see if Jesus Christ really is inside of you? Where do you need to be more scary close in your life? You see, scary close happens when you start breathing on top of the water. Donald Miller ends his book, Scary Close, with these words. We don't think much about how our love stories will affect the world, but they do. People learn what's worth living for and what's worth dying for by the stories they watch us live. People learn what's worth living for 
and what's worth dying for by the stories they watch us live. I want to teach how to get scary close and more, how to be brave. I want to teach them that love is worth what it costs. And in the end, wisdom and unity and love and doing the hard work of examining and testing your life is all you're going to have. So for this new year, I wish you a ponderous 2016. Ponderous. I pray it just drives you to the wall so you figure out the height and the depth and the power of God's love in your life that you figure out what God is trying to do in you and through you to change you so he can change the world. What will define your life in 2016? Today, you have that choice. What will define your life in 2016? Wisdom and unity and a love that is way beyond anything we can understand and Christ living inside of you is the best way to go. May that define your life in this new year. Dear Heavenly Father, save us from living out just repetitive, manipulative lives where we get caught up in somebody else's drama. We get caught up in somebody else's control issues or power issues. We get caught up with somebody else's agenda intruding into the, the blessedness of the life that you have given us. Oh, Father, may we live 2016 with the integrity of knowing who you are. May we live out 2016 with the, the wonder and amazement of your love and what your love can do. May in 2016, we, we be a light in the world, Father, because of your son, Jesus Christ. We give you our lives and we give you this new year. Jesus' name.